Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Oh, 
Father, thank you, Lord, for this day of rest and worship, this seventh day of the week that has been set apart, blessed, and sanctified for the use of the kingdom of God, for your use, for the use of the church, your bride, and your people. Praise your holy name. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for getting us through this week. Thank you for this message that we're about to receive. The spiritual food for our hearts and minds and souls. We ask you, Lord, to please penetrate the hard brains and the hard hearts. And give us a heart of love, of pure, and of compassion, and of mercy, and of repentance. We ask for more of your Holy Ghost. We ask you to give you, that you give us your eyes and your ears. We ask you, Lord, to make disciples of us. Help us to follow you in the center of your way. To put you first in all things. Please help us to let go of things we need to let go of. Please help us, Lord, to walk in the Spirit at all times. Please help us be your hands and your feet, your mouth, your ears and your eyes, and your breath upon this earth. May we be your kingdom now. We know that you're always willing to give us the things that are fully accepted in your will. So we receive it and accept it and ask for 
your help in using all of this wisely for the kingdom and for the health of those in need. In Jesus' name, we ask and we see. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. Today is May 20th, 2022, and therefore today is the 21st day of the second biblical month, 21st day of the second biblical month, 15 days left until Pentecost, two weeks, two weeks until Pentecost, praise, praise God. Pentecost will be an exciting, wonderful celebration. Two days of services, Saturday and Sunday, and I do encourage everybody to try, if at all possible, to have a special meal on that Pentecost Sunday, uh, June the 5th. June the 5th will be Pentecost, and of course we'll have special services that day at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. 11 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time, which is the time that we have all worship services now. So let's continue to count the days to that wonderful day of celebration. Amen. Praise God. In Luke chapter 6, let's start in verse 20. Luke 6, verse 20, page 73. Thank God for that nice cold tea. Thank you, Brother Gerald. Luke 6, verse 20. And turning his gaze or his look toward his disciples, looking at his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of Theos, the kingdom of God. Now, now, for the new people that might be listening for the very first time, I understand the Greek word theos is actually pronounced by most people, by most pastors, by most Christians, even by the Greeks, as theos rather than theos. But when you're considering ancient languages, there is absolutely not total agreement on how to pronounce agent words. When we're looking at agent Paleo-Hebrew and agent Greek, it is not the same as modern Greek. It is not the same. My 
research has shown, and my belief is to my current understanding, is that it is actually Theos, which goes back to the Alpha and Omega. V was interchangeable with Alpha. And of course, we know that the O, the long O sound, is the Omega. So it's Alpha and Omega would be the origin of this, according to my research. And so that's why I'll say Theos. I'm not pronouncing it wrong. I'm pronouncing it according to my research. There's a difference. That is for the new people. So, but that's the Greek word that Luke, Matthew, Mark, even Paul wrote for the word God. God coming from the German language and coming over into English. But they wrote Theos. So Jesus is looking at his students, his disciples, and said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's interesting that he said that. Amen? He didn't say blessed are the rich. In fact, he never said blessed are the rich, ever, ever, ever did he say that. Amen? But he did say blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom. So he didn't just say blessed are you, but yours is the kingdom. That is really something to think about. That is really something to think about. And when you compare that with it's harder, and I know I might get this wrong, but you know what I'm saying, it's harder for a rich man or harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man and enter the kingdom. So when you compare that verse with this verse, then the kingdom, eternal life, paradise, is much more reserved. There are reservations for the poor. You know, there's a lot, there's some, a few rich restaurants where only the rich people go there where you have to have a reservation in advance. You have to call them or email them or whatever in advance and have a reservation. Poor people don't go to places like that. Only rich people go to places like that. But the kingdom of God is the exact opposite. We have a reservation. We really do have a reservation for the kingdom of God, and it's not the rich that are going, but the poor. The kingdom is yours. Amen. Verse 21, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you should be fed to the full. You will be fed to the full. Blessed are you who cry now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and obstacles you and insult you and scorn you. Your name is evil for the sake of the Son of Mankind. And it's saying, Blessed are when people hate you in the context of poverty as well as the context of for the gospel. 
for for God's sake, for Jesus' sake. So when people hate you for living for him, if you're keeping the seventh day of the week, you believe in being baptized because the Bible says you must be baptized. Amen? And people hate you for this. You believe in the name of Jesus, for there is no other name given that man may be saved by. And people hate you for this. You believe that God is one and not three, because the Bible says God is one. Repeat it. And they hate you for this. And you know that God is a loving God, not the God of torture. Amen. Not the God of eternal pain and eternal agony and eternal torture. And that there's only two choices, eternal life or eternal death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's only two choices, not three. And the two choices is not eternal life and eternal life. Amen. But rather eternal life or eternal death. You know this truth, you proclaim this truth, but you hate you for it. Then blessed are you. Amen. But there's other ways that you can be living for God and people hate you for it. Amen. I'm standing here preaching with my shirt off because I am hot. I'm hot. And I'm a man. And Isaiah preached completely butt naked for three years or three and a half, whichever it was. Completely. Preached. Not just lived naked, but it says even preached naked. That's what it said. That people were hating for it. Amen? That I'm living for God. Amen? And if I was just standing here with my shirt on, I would be so hot, so uncomfortable, I would not be able to deliver the message because that is how hot I am. I am burning up. So why should I suffer in order to appease spiritual children, immature, legalistic, Babylonian, People, why should I do that? When I can make myself a little bit more comfortable and deliver the message better, easier, more efficiently to help you. Amen. And the younger men need the example of older men like myself. The young boys and the men being raised by women, which should never, ever, ever happen. I think, and not just think, I know that every single mother, every single mother out there that's raising boys should urgently 
fast and pray with all of their heart and all of their being for a good husband of the faith, of the truth, or at least ask a brother, an uncle, a male cousin, a fatherly figure, a grandfather, a dad, or someone to come into the house to help raise that male. I know there are exceptions. I know there are some few women that have done a good job at raising boys, but in general, overall, a boy being raised by a woman is child abuse and is harmful to his growth as a man. But since the reality is that women think they don't need men, and they think they can raise men without a man, which is ridiculous, then they need macho guys, they need guys that are bold, that are brave, that are not timid, that are not shameful, that are not shy, that will say it the way it is. They need male mentors. And if they don't have one in the house, then they can at least one have one on the internet at the very, very, very least. But the kingdom of God and the true church, being a true Christian, is much extremely different than your typical, typical legalistic Babylonian faith in Christ thinks. Much different. Living for God is much different than what most Christians think. Much, much different. Most Christians think living for God means you pray, you read the Bible, you go to church on Sunday, or you don't even go to church at all. And then that's all there is to it. That's all. Nothing else. You just believe that you're saved. You pray when you want to, read the Bible when you want to, go to church when you want to, or not go. And that's it. And maybe just be a good person, not kill nobody. And then that's it. But what does being a good person mean? Amen? What does that mean? And who defines that? Amen? But we should be hated if we are true Christians. We should be hated. Because the Bible says repeatedly that you will be hated for my name's sake. Amen? That the world loves its own. But that we would be hated. This is what the Bible teaches. So if you're a Christian, you think you're a Christian, but nobody hates you because of your faith. Nobody hates you because of your doctrine, what you believe. What you witness about, they don't hate you. Nobody hates you. Your family don't hate you. You've not lost any family. You've not lost any friends because of the gospel. Then something's wrong. Something's wrong with that picture because that's the exact opposite of what the Bible tells us would happen to a true Christian. We should be hated by people. We should lose family and friends. And the Bible says repeatedly, that if we was to lose or we forsake a husband, a wife, a daughter, children, parents, land, houses, that 
God would bless us for it. Amen. So it says here, in verse 22, that blessed if people hate us. Amen. Verse 23, be glad in that day and leap for joy for the whole your reward is great in heaven. For the same way their forefathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you if you're rich. For you are receiving your comfort in full. Other words, now, right now, you already have your luxuries. All the food you want, anything you want to buy in the store, nice car, everything else. And a real beautiful woman. That's the way rich people are. It's all about the looks. Beautiful woman, beautiful car, beautiful house, beautiful, 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 playful food. But Jesus actually looked down on that, on that type of a lifestyle. He looked down on it then. He really did look down on it. 25, woe to you who are being filled now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you. It sounds like a curse to me. That if you do this, if you're rich, you're going to be cursed. That's what it sounds like to me. If you're full now, you're going to be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you should mourn and cry. God is not against laughing. But in the context, he means those people who live such a comfortable life that they don't know what it means to suffer. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. People that don't need to cry because they don't know what it's like to go without food. They don't know what it's like that the only thing you have in the house to eat is maybe uh, a mayonnaise sandwich or a mustard sandwich, nothing on the bread, but only your condiments, only mustard on, on the bread, or only mayonnaise on the bread, or maybe the only thing you got in the whole house to eat is peanut butter sandwich or Roman noodles or just rice, and you're eating the same thing every day. A lot of people don't know what it means to have to sacrifice and do without. But yet there are literally millions and millions and millions of people on this earth that knew, that do know what that is like to eat the same food every day. Amen? Verse 26, woe to you and all people speak well of you. For their forefathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Well, if Jesus says, somebody takes your coat away from you, 
give him your shirt too. Wasn't that lady shirtless? Amen. Jesus didn't say, hold on to that shirt because you need it to cover yourself. He didn't say that. Amen. But to give away both. Amen. To add up all these words, all these different verses, all these different points and principles, it's better to be naked. It's better to be without the rich garments, and it's better to be without the things that you think you need, the food, the clothing, the mansions, the fancy cars. The reality is, the more you own, the more those things own you. The more you own, the more those things own you. That's the truth. That is the truth. And I would really encourage you to pray that God help you understand and realize how much the things you own, own. People really draw closer to God if they just realize that point right there and start reducing the burden of the riches. I love to watch Home and Garden Channel on TV. Home and Garden Channel. But it really frustrates me, though, to see all these women that think they have to have an entire bedroom full of clothes and shoes. They literally have some of them, literally, literally, I'm not kidding you, some of them have a hundred shoes, a hundred. That's insane. And everybody has to have stainless steel appliances. Why? Oh, it's pretty, it's beautiful, because the Jones have, and i got to keep up with the Joneses. It's ridiculous. It should suffice, it should suffice, just to have a refrigerator and a stove. There's a lot of people that don't have a refrigerator and a stove. We don't even have a real stove here. We don't have a real stove. But thank God we do have a pressure cooker that sits on the countertop, which can cook almost anything. can bake in it, but you can cook almost anything else in it. And that is, to me, a luxury. And we have a little propane stove that sits on the countertop as well. And actually, that's actually a luxury. Believe it or not, and we have an electric skillet sitting on top of the counter, and we can actually fry bread and make cakes and stuff like that in there. They ain't going to come out as good as if we had an oven, but we can still eat it, and it can still be pretty good. We are actually living like rich people that we actually have these different cooking utensils, these different cooking equipment. There's a lot of people on this earth, believe it or not, that the only cooking thing they have is only a hot plate, basically like a propane stove that works on electric. 
and then that's it. Nothing else. As far as I know, that's all meekness has. Brother Meekness in Zimbabwe, just a, a two-burner electric hot plate, electric stove on top of the countertop, no oven. So, and there's some people that have only the campfire, and that's it. But the more you own, the more your life, your soul is in danger. Because it's like the internet, it's like a cell phone, it's like electricity, it's like an air conditioner. You get addicted to those luxuries. The more you own, the more you get addicted to those things, the least, the less and the less and the less that you're going to be able to handle the tough times that are coming. There are some tough times that's going to come upon this earth soon. I don't know what year, what month, but soon, relatively soon, in a short period of time, that many of you are going to lose your houses. And almost all these rich people that live in the, the nice big brick, red brick, fancy houses that's just a quarter of a mile from here, they're going to lose their houses. They're going to lose those mansions. They're going to lose those ovens and that stainless steel refrigerator and stainless steel stove. They're going to lose that and that fancy car. Oh, it's going to happen. It's coming. It's coming. They're going to lose it. And they're not going to know where to, where to get their next bite of food or how to live off the land or how to live without a grocery store. And here in this part of the United States, in the mid-Atlantic, eastern coast areas, not that we're on the coastline, but the east coast compared to the west coast, they're expecting us to run out of diesel in the next week or two. It's what I had read a couple of nights ago. And if that happens, how are they going to get food into the grocery stores? I, I sure don't trust Biden to come up with some kind of rescue plan. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but I don't trust him to do that. So it's a, it's a very real possibility that here in just two or three, four weeks from now, that people in this area won't have any food left in the grocery stores. What are they going to do? It's going to be a bad situation. And, you know, the monkeypox is spreading. I'm not being able to look up any new cases, but I'm sure it continues to spread. And we know that Bill Gates wants the smallpox and the milky of monkeypox and all kinds of other diseases to kill the, the population. We know it. We know that Bill Gates and all of his friends want to kill as many people as possible, and it will. 
And we also know that there is a, a very real possibility, I believe it's true, that Iran and the terrorists in Afghanistan uh, have a plan to bring in dirty nuclear bombs, dirty bombs into America and explode them in multiple cities. And I believe that's going to happen this year. I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying I think that it's going to happen. What's that, what is that going to do? You, can't, you combine all these different things that will eventually happen, regardless whether it's this year or next year or when. You combine all these different things. What's going to happen to society? Society is going to, to collapse when you have more and more diseases, dirty nuclear bombs, and running out of diesel, and of course the baby formula thing and all kinds of other things going on, and everything's just going to get worse, it's not going to get better, there's going to come starvation. And they're warning about uh, larger electrical blackouts in the western half of America as well. Larger and larger, more and more people doing without electricity in the western half of America as well. They're warning about that that's coming this summer. And I'll tell you what, it is really hot here for the month of May. It got up to 94 Fahrenheit yesterday here on the, on the front porch. My thermometer's in the shade said 94 degrees Fahrenheit, which for this region, for the month of May, that's, I think, unusual and hot. Now, that's rather you would have in, like, July and even June, but this is early. This is early for that. I, I think it's going to get over 100 this year out there this summer. I, I really see a dry, hot summer coming. And that's going to hurt the farms and the gardens and people's water bills trying to water the gardens. The avalanche of sorrows coming upon this earth, even to the former great United States of America, and we've got to be prepared for these realities. The people that are accustomed to being poor, they're going to be able to adapt easier. They may still suffer more, of course, than what they used to as things get worse. But the poor people will be able to adapt more easily than the rich people, the spoiled people, because they've never had to suffer and do without. They don't know what to do and how to live. Uh, with a lower budget. So we really are blessed when we are poor in that way, but also spiritually, because those physical things take away our time, our energy, our resources, and our focus away from spiritual things, away from God, away from love and fear and compassion. I know for a fact that it is the poor people that are more willing to give to the poor, to people in need, than the rich. And I know there are exceptions, so I speak in general. But generally, 
the poor is much more willing to help somebody else out in need because they know what it's like to be poor and they know what it's like to need help. So they're more willing to help. But a poor person not knowing what it's like to suffer, they won't help somebody that is suffering because they don't know what it feels like. And because they're greedy bastards. That's just face the reality. And I know that love your enemies is really in the context more so of people that hate you for the truth. But Jesus really is mixing different things in here, mixing a lot of different ingredients all together. So I really think you cannot completely separate that some people hate you because you're poor. And man, I know that's reality. The communists, Bill Gates, the rich elite, Nancy Pelosi, the, the Democrats, they hate the poor. And they want to make the poor more poor. They want to starve the poor to death. This is the reality. This is the truth. The rich just keep getting richer and the poor just keep getting poor. And it's the rich against the poor. It is the rich billionaires and millionaires against the poor. It really is. That is the reality. So they hate you because you're poor too. There's a lot of Christians that are doing very well. They might not think they're rich. But in comparison to some other people, they're rich. Driving around here with Jesus loves you and Jesus saves on their cars and crosses sparkling, dangling from their a mirror in their car, but they won't stop to help anyone in need. They won't stop to give you a bottle of water. They won't stop to give you a bite of food. They won't stop to give you a quarter. Because they're rich, greedy bastards. And that's the truth. And yet they think the kingdom is theirs. But it's not. Amen. It's not. Now I know that these verses about hating your enemy, about loving your enemies are controversial, difficult to understand, because the Bible also says that we are to rebuke and that we are even to destroy heathen nations and burn down idols and temples of the heathen, of false gods. This is in the Bible as well. And many other examples that seem to go against the reality is we need a correct balance and we need to take every situation uniquely. Amen? Not every situation is the same. Every situation is different. And you could even have the same situation with two different people and treat them differently because the will of God might be different for one person than a different person in the exact same situation. 
believe it or not. Because God might be cursing one person while delivering another person or having mercy on that other person. The Bible says that he'll have mercy on who, on, he, on who he chooses to have mercy on. Amen. So you could have an enemy that you bless and love, and you can have a different enemy that you should destroy and not bless. Amen? Doesn't, what is it, 2 John or something like that? Let me look, I might have it right here. Uh, yeah, 2 John, verse 10 and 11. Doesn't those verses tell you to not bless? And even in Matthew, there's a place, right? That says, that if they come to you bringing to you a false doctrine that is an antichrist doctrine that goes against the truth, to not welcome them and to not bless them, but not even allow them in your house. Amen? And we know that in the book of Matthew, there's an example of that if you go to somebody and give them the truth and they don't accept it, that you should remove your blessings from them and even curse them with shaking the dust or the ashes off your feet, which is a curse. These verses do not contradict one another, but rather we need to realize that every situation is different and every person is different. And sometimes God wants you to bless your enemy and sometimes God wants you to curse your enemy. There are verses that supports both of those. So you have to allow the presence of God in you, that's called the Holy Ghost, compared to the Holy Spirit. It's the same God, it's the same Spirit, but the Holy Ghost is the part of God that saved us on the cross and that comes into us. Whereas the Holy Spirit it's the part, the part of the same God, the same spirit, the same being. There's only one spirit, one Lord, but a different part of him. Just like I got ten fingers and ten toes, but I'm still one person. So the Holy Spirit is the part of God that deals with the universe, the earth, the trees, animals, stuff like that, compared to the Holy Ghost part of God that is inside humans dealing with us, moving our hearts, convicting us of our sins, reminding us of the truth, teaching us the truth, leading us, directing us. And we need the Holy Ghost inside of us to direct us each step of the way. Who to bless, who to curse, who to rebuke, and who to hug and embrace, and who to push away. The book of Ecclesiastes says there's Time for everything under the sun, a time to embrace and a time to push away. Amen. A time for peace and a time for war. If there's a time for war, there's a time to kill. There's a time to burn down the idols and the temples. There's a time for it. There is a time and a place for all these things, everything under the sun. We've got to be led by God and not by ourselves. Amen. Not by your heart. The heart of man is wicked, the Bible says. Don't follow your heart. Follow God. Amen. And let him lead you. 
Amen. But there is a time to bless the poor. And there is a time to bless different people. And can we can we can we agree there's a time to bless the poor? <laughs> can we agree on that? Amen. Amen. Let's hear some shouting in this place. Is there a time to bless the poor? Amen. Amen. Praise God. And look what it says over here. And let's go back to verse uh, 29 again. Maybe we've not. Yeah, we already read that. But let's read it again. Verse 29. Whoever uh, hits you on the cheek turns to the other also. Some people says we have no right to self-defense. I disagree. I disagree. Because in the Middle East, they consider a slap on the cheek as nothing but just insulting you, not as a physical assault. In America, you can go to jail for that. But in the Middle East, they just laugh it off. It's just an insult. It's not a physical assault. So you have to read the Bible in a Middle Eastern mindset because it was written in the Middle East. Amen? So this is not a physical assault it's talking about, but rather just an insult. If somebody insults you, try not to insult back. That's what this means, to turn the other cheek. does not literally mean let somebody beat you up, but rather do not insult back when they insult you. But there's exception to that as well. There's exception. Because there are Bible verses, more than one, that teaches to rebuke people. Amen. So it depends on the situation. But the other half of that verse is the greater point that I want to make. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. So if somebody asks you for something, give it to them. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same you want them to treat you. If you love those that love you, what credit is that to you? But even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? But even sinners do the same. If you lend to, give to those who won't, who whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same. But love your enemies and do good and lend. That means allow people to borrow you. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward would be great. And you would be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. But the Bible again says he has mercy on who he chooses to have mercy on. Amen. But he also has mercy sometimes on the poor and also sometimes on the rich, sometimes on the evil people. If he decides they deserve it. Amen. So we're to be the same as God. Amen. 
that we can choose who to have mercy on and who not to have mercy on. There are exceptions to everything. There is a time to have mercy, and there's also a time to cast away. Amen? But in general, Jesus here is talking in general, how you live your life on a daily basis. In general, for the most part, we should be people of mercy, love, kindness, compassion, tenderness, gentleness, in general. that we should show mercy to people. Amen. Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it should be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. There's that verse I was looking for. Amen. I need to write that on the wall. Amen, because I looked for it, can't find it. Pour in your lap a good measure, press down, shake it together, rain. Brother Gerald, please make a note that we add that to our wall of verses over here next to the century. Press down, shake it together, rain over and forward by your measure, your standard of measure, that it will be measured to you in return. Whatever measure that you use, about how willing you are to help people or to give, the same God will return back to you in the same measure from other people. Amen? Now, we know that there is a time to judge. If you don't judge, you're going to die very quickly. You have to judge who allowing in your home, who to allow in the car, who to allow to spend time with your children, who to teach your children, who not to teach your children, what church to go to, what church not to go to. You have to judge everyone, everyone. You have to judge everyone. To think that you shouldn't judge everyone is foolish. What Jesus really means by this is that we should not be people that are over-condemning and always judging people in a manner of condemning people for everything. Oh, there's a man with a shirt off. There's no way that he can be a servant of the Lord. There's no way that he can be a Christian. There's no way because he's dirty, he's nasty, he's filthy, he's shameful. That's judging wrongfully because there's not a Bible verse in the entire Bible that teaches you to judge in that way. Amen? Therefore, you're judging wrongfully. The Bible says not to judge by appearance, but rather to judge righteously, to make righteous judgments. It says that. It says that. But yet, we can judge by appearance if somebody has 666 tattooed on their forehead. Come on now. People read the Bible, and they say it says it, and it cannot be any other way. They read one verse, do not judge, and say, that's the way it has to be all the time. You can never judge anyone. You can never judge anyone because it says, do not judge in this verse. But yet they ignore the verse that says, do not judge according to appearance, 
that rather, I know he doesn't say it exactly this way, but it says to judge right, to make righteous judgments and not by appearance. However it's worded, it says it. So that verse tells us that we can judge. And also we have where Paul said that I'm not even there. I've not even met this man. I'm not even there. And I have already judged him. And when I do show up in that church, I'm going to kick him out. I'm going to disfellowship. You have not kicked this man out of the church, but I will when I show up. He says, I have already judged him. And Bob also says over in Luke here somewhere that if your brother offends you and he, uh, if your brother offends you, rebuke him. Rebuke him. That's what it says. If your brother offends you, rebuke him. And if he repent, then forgive him. If he repent, if, if, if he repent, forgive him. It doesn't say forgive unconditionally. God does not forgive us unconditionally. So why should we think that we're more holy than God and we should forgive unconditionally everybody? That wouldn't make no sense. We're not more holy than God. But if the Bible says, as it does, that we should rebuke our brother when he offends us, let's judge him. Amen? Can we not judge uh, the Pope? Can we not judge Biden? Can we not judge uh, the false prophets, the false preachers, the false preachers that teach in three gods and eternal torture? Can we not judge those wolves? Can we not judge the people that are murdering babies for abortion? Can we not judge those that are pushing the vaccine on people to, uh, to uh, exterminate humankind? Can we not judge those people? Come on now. You have to judge. You have to. But God is teaching here that in general, on a daily basis, we should not be people that are just quick to judge everyone for everything. Especially when you don't even know the situation. Amen. If you don't even know that person, or that person is a stranger, you never even talk to that person, then how do you know their situation? So what I'm talking about today I just get it straight to the point, is mostly about street beggars. People out there on the street corner begging. You've never talked to that person. You might think he's a drug addict. You might think he's an alcoholic. You might think he's a wicked person. But how do you really know? Unless, of course, God gives you some kind of a discernment or by the clothing, which you can judge by their clothing, because it's pretty obvious these days. Or you have some other way of knowing. 
But if you don't see something that gives it away, then how do you know that person's situation? How do you know that they're a drug addict or alcoholic or that they're wasting their money? Perhaps the house just burnt down. Perhaps they just got kicked out of the house unrighteously for doing nothing. What if they just got kicked out of the house for uh, uh, Jesus' name? For Jesus' name's sake, for telling the truth. We don't know their situation. There's a million things that could have happened to that person. A million things could have happened to that person. How do you know they're going to use the money for a drug addiction or alcohol? How do you know? How do you know they don't even have a job? How do you know they don't have a job? Maybe they have a job, but they've not got paid yet. Maybe they just got started working and they've not got the first payday yet. Maybe they're disabled and not able to get on disability because it's very, very, very hard to get approved for disability. But maybe they're actually disabled and maybe they're actually in pain standing there begging and are having to long suffer in order to get enough money for a motel room for the night. How do you know what their situation is? There's a million different possibilities, 10 million possibilities. So why should you hate that person? Because they're homeless, and maybe they're not even homeless. Everybody assumes that somebody begging on the street, automatically they're homeless. How do you know? Maybe they're not homeless. Maybe they actually do have a home, but they have nothing to cook on at all. No pressure cooker, no hot plate, no burner, no stove, nothing, nothing, nothing. And maybe they have a job and a home and a car, but nothing to cook with because every bit of the money is going into the rent and have nothing left. How do you know the situation? don't. So maybe you ought to start showing more mercy. Amen. Maybe you should be less judgmental, less condemning. Amen. Maybe you should show more more love, more compassion, and be less judgmental. Amen. Verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you in return. Amen. The day is coming that you just walking right past or driving right past the street beggar without giving anything is going to come back to you. It's going to come back to you. How do you not know that you're going to be standing on that street begging one of these days? How do you know? You don't know. It could happen. It could happen. And even if you're not out there on the street begging, 
I guarantee you, most of the people listening will not always have the home that you have, the four walls and the bricks and that temple that you live in, because it is a temple to you. It is. Most of you, the house you live in has become a temple to you. The comfort of life destroys you. It destroys the soul. Hardship is good for the soul. Hardship is very, 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 very good for the soul. And I tell you what, you think that church you go to loves people and your pastor loves people and all those people sitting there every Sunday morning, they love people, they love people. That's what you think. But the Bible says, and you know, you think they love God too. But the Bible says, those that say that they know me and keep not my commandments, you're a liar. That's what the Bible says, you're a liar. Those people go to Sunday churches, you think they love God and they think you think they love people, but the reality is they don't keep God's commandments. They don't keep God's holy days. They don't keep God's Passover. They don't keep God's Pentecost that's coming up in two weeks from now. Even if they call themselves Pentecostal, they still won't even keep the day of Pentecost. Even if they call themselves Baptist, they don't believe in getting baptized. How can they love God? They don't. They don't. You need to get over that deception. You need to get over that deception. I can't believe there's people listening to me that are still going to the Sunday churches. By now, I'm being honest with you. By now, your eyes should already be more open to the reality that these people hate God. Just reading the Bible and smiling and shaking your hand every Sunday morning does not mean they love God or that they know God. Christmas worships the devil. Easter worships the devil. Sunday morning worships the devil. Why do they go to church every Sunday morning? It's because of Easter. Because they think Jesus rose on Sunday morning. He didn't. He did not rise on Sunday morning. He rose Saturday night. So how come they're not going to church Saturday night? Amen? Sunday morning is not about worshiping God. It's about worshiping Satan. And you're joining right in there with them. Because they love God. Bullshit! They don't love God. If they did, they would keep his Passover and teach baptism and teach one Lord and one faith. This is what the Bible teaches. You've got to get over your Babylonian programming and your Babylonian thinking. Amen? You've got to get over it. If you think those people love God, 
then I encourage you to go and stand out on a street corner. And I'm serious about this. I'm not kidding. If you think the average typical Christian that goes to church on a Sunday morning that has a Jesus bumper sticker and a cross dangling from their mirror in the car, I encourage you to literally stand on the street holding a sign and beg for money and see how many of those Christians on Sunday, as soon as they pull out of the church, go right past you, not even look at you, even though they saw you, and not even look at you, not even slow down, not even give you a bottle of water on a hot day. Even if it's 94 or 100 or 110, they still want to stop and give you a bottle of water. And yet you think they love God. I'm sorry that you are so deceived. But I know the excuse. I know the excuse is that they think that's a drug addict, and if you give them any money, they go buy drugs or they go buy beer. But how do you know? How do you know that's really what they're going to do with the money? And even if they are a drug addict, maybe that particular dollar bill that you might could give them would actually be used for a loaf of bread. They got to eat sooner or later, even if they're doing drugs. Amen? They got to eat sooner or later. So even if they are a drug addict, how do you know it's going to go for the drugs? Sooner or later, they're going to need another pair of shoes. Sooner or later, they're going to need another pair of socks. So how do you know what they're going to use it for? You don't. So people need to start showing more mercy. Amen. Let's go to James chapter 2. Page 243. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, show no favoritism as you hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if a man comes into your assembly, your gathering, with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. And you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in the good place. But you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit uh, by my footstool. Robert, I can know second sentence and equals but. But he saves the poor man. 
because you're treating them differently. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and hers of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? God does not favor rich people. God favors the poor. And the more poor they are, the more God favors them. That's the truth. That is the truth. The more poor a person is, the more God favors those people. Some of you don't have God's favor very much because you own too much stuff or you make too much income and you're not sharing enough of it with the poor. And that's why you're lacking God's statement. That's the truth. Some of you have been too greedy, too condemning, too overjudgmental. And that's why you don't have enough of God's favor. Amen. I tell you the truth. A lot of these churches out there, especially the Baptist church, the biggest church downtown, in every city of America. If a man go in there, man, woman, whoever go in there with holes in their blue jeans, stains on their clothes, stains on their shirts, and holes in their shirts, just raggedy clothes because that's all you got. Guarantee you to be a lot of people that will Ignore you, act like they didn't see you, even though they did. Not come up and talk to you. Not have compassion on you, not love you, not care for you. And wish you wasn't there. Of course, there are exceptions. I guarantee you there are churches that way. And I do remember one time myself going to the church one time in blue jeans. And the pastor has a preach against it. Just because he saw me wearing blue jeans. It wasn't the main message of the sermon, but he said it in passing, something against it. Well, how did he know that I didn't have no dress pants? Maybe I didn't, maybe I did. But how did he know? You know, did he know that Maybe blue jeans might have been the only kind of pants I had at the time, maybe. How does he know? He didn't know anything about me. I got really long hair because I made a vow to God I will not cut my hair unless under certain situations until the Lord returns. That's a personal vow I made with God. And I know it's a vow that he wants me to keep. I know it is. Back in the times of the writing of the New Testament and Old Testament both, long hair on a man was a sign of honor and strength and dignity and carriage and even holiness. It was something well-respected but not in the Roman Empire culture of which Paul came from, even though he was Jewish or maybe not Jewish, but Israelite, 
that he was raised in the Roman Empire and was corrupted, Paul was corrupted, by the Roman uh, way of life. Just like we are corrupted by the Western way of life today. He couldn't help it. We can't help it. That we've been, have been corrupted in the past because of the society we live in. And neither could Paul help the fact that the society he lived in, the time, the location, the society, and his upbringing, that he looked down on men that had long hair. But it was not the right thing for him to do. He should have not have done that. Paul was wrong in that. He was not God. Paul was not God. Paul was not perfect. Paul made mistakes. He was human in that. But let us not make the same mistake today. A lot of these churches, if I was to walk in with my long hair, some of them guarantee you would preach against it. Amen. I sure wouldn't feel very welcome there. I sure wouldn't feel very loved there. I sure wouldn't feel much compassion there or much mercy there. Amen. Verse 6, that you have dishonored the poor man. It's not the rich man. It's not the rich who oppress you and they themselves drag you into court. Verse 7, do they not blasphemy the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and, not, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James wrote this decades after Jesus went back to heaven, and yet James is teaching that there is still law. Is all law done away with? Is all law done away with? James, the brother of Jesus, who is also the leader of the Council of Elders, wrote this decades after Jesus went back to heaven, and he's still preaching the law. Amen? Amen. I have to amen myself. So, verse 10, whoever, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. In other words, if you break one commandment, you break them all. You cannot separate the Ten Commandments. You cannot separate the Ten Commandments. So you can't say that adultery, and murder, that those laws are still intact, but yet the Sabbath was changed or done away with. That doesn't make any sense. The Ten Commandments is the Ten Commandments. Amen? It's not the Nine Commandments. So if you believe the law about that's not murder and that's not adultery, then you must also believe the law about the Sabbath. And all ten of those particular laws is all about love. How to show your love to God, the first four commandments, teach you how to show your love to God. The next six commandments teach you how to love one another. And here, James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Council of Elders, 
is teaching us that loving the poor, loving the poor people, and accepting them in the church, amen, even if they have raggedy, dirty clothes, even if they look homeless, amen, that we should love those people. Love. That's why he brings up the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments is all about love. How can they? How can you say that the Christian, so-called, love God when they don't keep the Fourth Commandment? The first four commandments is about how you love God, and they don't keep the Sabbath. How can you say they love God? They don't. So if you don't keep the Sabbath, there's no need to go to church. And you might as well not even claim to be a Christian or anything because it's all for knowledge. It's all in vain. Come on now. You either keep the commandments and love God or you don't. So all these people that think that to get to heaven, all you got to do is not kill anybody. I've talked to people like that. I've heard people say that. I'm a, I, I, I've never killed anyone. I'm going to heaven. People say that all the time. It's a very, 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 very common uh, expression. I've heard that a million times in my life. I'm not killed anyone. Oh, really? The Bible says... James said, the brother of Jesus said, that if you break one law, you break them all. So if you break the Sabbath, then you might as well have killed someone. Amen? If you break the Sabbath, if you do not keep Sabbath day, which I'm saying Sabbath, but that's not the correct term. It's the seventh day. The seventh day is the correct term. If you don't keep the seventh day of the week as commanded by God himself, then you're guilty of all ten commandments because you're committing self-murder. You're killing yourself for the wages of sin is death. And you're also stealing because you're stealing your soul away from yourself. You're also bearing false witness against yourself and against God's word. Amen. And you're serving false gods, the God of Sunday, the sun god. And you go into churches that have graven images, statues, or pictures of Jesus, which is not even a picture of Jesus. It's an idol. It breaks the second commandment. You break all the commandments when you go to those Sunday churches. Just stepping foot in that Sunday church breaks every ten commandment, every commandment there is of God. So why do we keep going? Time to repent. Time to come out from earth. Time to come out of Mother Babylon. Time, time to come out of the synagogue of Satan. 
in that. But considering the poor, which is really the context here, that if you don't love the poor, you're guilty of all these other commandments, adultery and murder. Verse 13, let's skip to verse 13. For judgment, judging the poor, will be merciful and will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. People have not shown mercy to the street beggar and to the poor. Verse 14, what use is it, my brother, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can faith save him? If you ask any, any typical Christian out there this question, can faith save you? They would say yes every time. Every time. Amen? Amen? <laughs> they need to read James. They have never read James, have they? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is lacking clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? That's just in vain. It's just in vain to say God bless you and not actually help them. It's just in vain to say I'm going to pray for you and not actually help them if you can at all help them. Amen. Verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that because you know that God is one, you do well. But the demons also believe in shudder. So that means that it's not enough to just believe in God. And it's not enough to have the truth that God is one either. That's not enough. You also have to love the poor. You also have to actually help people. Actually help people is actually actually a commandment of God. You must help people. Amen? You may not find the exact words, you must help people. But it says it in this chapter in different words. There's a lot of different ways of saying something. It still says it, even if it's different words. Amen? Amen. I think I'm going to go to Pentecostal Church and just hire them to come in here. Amen. <laughs> hey, I'll be helping the poor. I need to go to the poorest Pentecostal church there is and hire some people to amen me. Praise God. Verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father found righteous by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture, the Old Testament, was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed Theos, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. 
You see that a man is not righteous by works and not by faith alone. How many Christians need to read that? How many? In the same way was not rehab the harlot, that means prostitute, was also righteous by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So even the prostitute was shown mercy by God. How many of these churches would show mercy to a prostitute? If she was to walk into the church building on Saturday or Sunday, either one, or Wednesday night, Thursday, Tuesday, any night of the week, that they might be having a worship service or a Bible study, so-called. Prostitute comes walking in, because a lot of times you can tell by the way they're dressed. How many of these churches would embrace her in and have her to sit down and hug her and tell her that she is welcome? How many? Not too many. Not too many. Not too many churches, not too many Christians. What if you were sitting at a bus stop waiting on a bus? What if you were waiting on the bus at the street corner and a prostitute walked up and sat down right next to you? with a really, 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 really short skirt all the way up to her butt. And the pink, well, nowadays they wear black nail polish, which is disgusting, but maybe pink nail polish. And the jewelry and all these different things. How would you begin thinking and feeling? Do you know her past? Do you know what made her a prostitute? Maybe it was her dad. Maybe it was her brother. Maybe it was all her brothers and her dad all at the same time. You don't know. You don't know what happened to her to make her a prostitute. You don't know her life. You don't know where she came from, what has happened to her. In general, we need to be less condemning, less judgmental, more loving, more caring, more compassionate, more merciful. Amen. Amen. Look at Matthew 25. We'll close with Matthew 25. This is talking about the great white throne judgment, which starts in verse 31. This is Matthew 25. Verse 31 is talking about the great white throne judgment, which occurs after the thousand years. We'll go down to verse 33, 
and he will put the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. We know that the goats on the left represent lost people, and the sheep on the right represent people that had gotten saved during the hundred years. Isaiah 65, verse 20, after the thousand years. Verse 34, and the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. We read five verse while ago, blessed are the poor because yours is the kingdom. Amen? Here he says to the sheep on the right, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. Amen? And you invited me in. Lacking clothing and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now think about prisoners. They're there for a reason. Amen? Prisoners are there because they broke the law most of the time. Of course, in America these days, you could be in prison just for being a Christian or a conservative or just being a Republican. But in general, most of the time, a prisoner is a person that sinned and broke the law. And yet, Jesus here wants you to visit those people. He wants you to have some mercy, love, and compassion towards sinners. Amen? Amen. I was in prison. You came to me. Then the righteous were answering him. Verse 37. Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you? Thirsty and give you something to drink. When did we see your stranger invite you in or lack of clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Amen, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Amen? But he will say also to those on his left, Depart from me. Such missing here, these verses. The whole left side is gone from these verses. Yeah. Missing some verses No, it's following there. Following there. Seems like it's out of place. That is not. I guess it's just he gives them their judgment before he explains why. Okay. I'm a little sleepy, I guess, or burning up too much. So in verse 41, he turns to the other side and gives a judgment to those on the left. And then he will explain why. He says in verse 31, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, cursed ones, into eternal fire. The fire is eternal. 
Because God is the lake of fire. God is a consuming fire. That's what the Bible says. God is a consuming fire. If something consumes something, if I set a piece of paper on fire, or if I set a temple on fire, if I set a pagan, heathen, blasphemous, satanic temple on fire and it consumes away, it's not going to be there forever, is it? Amen? God is a consuming fire. The fire is eternal, but the people that are thrown into that fire, they die because there's only life and death. Amen. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is not eternal life. Eternal life is a gift from God. Eternal life is not the punishment. Eternal life is the reward. Amen. But cursed are those that go into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Lacking clothing, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or lacking clothing or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer to them, Amen, which means this is a fact. That's what the word amen means. This is a fact, truly. I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, which is not the same as eternal punishing. Amen? Eternal punishing is ongoing. It doesn't say that. It's eternal punishment, which is a final punishment that is eternal. Death to being eternal. But the righteous into eternal life. That's the opposite. That's the opposite. The righteous go into eternal life. So the very fact that it says the righteous go into eternal life proves without a shadow of a doubt that the wicked do not have eternal life. Amen? Only the righteous get eternal life. It is the opposite of the punishment. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, which is the life of our Lord. How come people don't believe Romans 6.23? People don't believe Romans 23. Romans 6.23. They don't believe it. They do not believe it. But it's very clear in these verses that God requires us, absolutely requires us, to help people. And some of these people are even probably guilty. Of course, we all have we all have been guilty of sin. Have we not all been guilty of sin? And we've all made huge mistakes sooner or later, somewhere in our life. We've all of us, even the apostle, believe it or not, has made huge mistakes. 
But if I make a huge mistake, all of a sudden I'm no longer a man of God. I'm no longer called of God. I'm no longer chosen of God, and I shouldn't be preaching. People are so ridiculous the way they think. So ridiculous. So ridiculous. Every one of you have made a huge mistake. But for some reason, a pastor can't be human. We are required to help people. Now, again, there's exceptions. If you know that they will use it for drugs, but sometimes you don't know. It might be for bread. It might be for motel room. It might be for medicine. You don't always know. You don't always know. So even the drug addict, sometimes you got to show mercy. And even the alcoholic, too. There's been times uh, that men would come up to me on the street in a parking lot or something and say, hey, can I have some pocket change? you got some coins in your pocket I can have. I need a beer. And they would actually tell me they're going to go buy a beer with it. And you know what? I gave them the money. And other times they wasn't so honest, and I still gave them the money. Because you know what? They're still going to drink, even if I give them money or not give them the money. They're still going to find the money from somebody. They're still going to drink. They're still going to be an alcoholic. But they're asking me. They're asking me. And it ain't going to kill me. And most likely, it ain't going to kill them to give them a dollar. And it is very, very, very difficult to overcome addiction. For most people, even if you get saved, truly saved, you are not delivered from that addiction immediately. Now, there are exceptions. I know that some people do get immediately delivered within a second, like a snap of a finger, immediately delivered from drug addiction, alcohol addiction, cigarettes, everything. I was delivered from cigarettes by a miracle from God within a snap of a finger. It happens. But that is the rare exception. For the majority of the time, most people are not delivered from alcohol or drugs instantly in the snap of a finger. Most of the time it takes several months, even years, of trying, of making an effort to overcome addiction, even homosexuality. Not just drugs and alcohol, but even homosexuality. Some people are delivered instantly. Other people have to struggle for years to overcome it. But we need to be more merciful and more understanding that if that person 
that is trying to overcome alcohol, drugs, or sexual addiction, or homosexuality, that if they are trying, if they confess that it's a sin, if they confess that they have a problem, and that they should live more holy, and they're trying, and they are trying, and they are trying, and they are trying, and they are trying, but they make a mistake, and they fall because they will. They absolutely will fall sooner or later. That instead of judging them, that we help them get back up. That we help them to get back up on the horse, back up on the bicycle, and repent, heal, and do better, and be stronger against that temptation the next time. Instead of saying that you're of the devil, maybe we should say, sorry you made a mistake. Next time at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're tempted, please call me, and I will help you through the temptation. Amen? Amen. There's more ways than one way to help a person. If you think that person might be a drug addict, instead of giving them money, you could also give them a bottle of water if they're standing out in the hot sun on a hot day. Or if it's a cold day, go buy them a coffee or a hot chocolate. You know, some people don't drink coffee, but everybody drinks hot chocolate. So go buy them a hot chocolate on a cold, wintry day. Go buy them a hot chocolate. They ain't going to turn that down. Amen? You can also give them a, a can of food. Just one can is better than nothing. You could give them, if it's in the wintertime, a, a warm pair of socks or a pair of gloves or a thicker coat than what they have. You could give them a, a gift card for a local restaurant or a local grocery store. Almost all the stores in America, you go in and buy a card for $5 or more, and you can give that card to that homeless person or that beggar that might not be homeless or somebody that's asking for help and giving them a card that has $5, $10, $20, whatever on it so they can take that card to that restaurant or to that store and buy their own food or supplies. That way they can't use their own drugs. Now, some of those cards, they might still be able to buy cigarettes. Some of them, might, they still might be able to buy alcohol. But they won't be able to buy hardcore drugs. But it takes time for them to overcome alcohol addiction. And when they are withdrawing from alcohol, their hands shake real, real, real bad. I remember my uncle, Uncle Beecher, was his name. He was an alcoholic. 
a really good God other than man. Read his Bible every day. But if he went even one day without alcohol, his hands would be shaking extremely bad. Extremely bad. He had to have that alcohol in his system every day. And it takes time to get, to get past those withdrawal symptoms. And sometimes it can be deadly. Sometimes it can send your system into shock if you don't get some alcohol in you, at least a little bit. So perhaps that dollar bill could help an alcoholic to just ease his shakes a little bit, to just ease him slowly out of the addiction. Because sometimes the best way to get over the addiction is to cut down a little at a time instead of going cold turkey. You go cold turkey on some of these drugs, even alcohol. For a real severe alcoholic, you start going cold turkey completely, it'll kill you, literally kill you to not drink. So there actually is a time that you may even want to buy somebody even hardcore drugs. There are exceptions. There are exceptions to everything, just about almost everything, just about almost. There might be a time, there might be an exception where I would even buy a hardcore drug for somebody in order to help them to not die that day or go into a seizure that day because they need to wean themselves off from that drug on them. It's possible. So there's many different ways to help people. Money, toothbrush, socks, coat, shirt, gift card, bottle of water, hot chocolate, or even just a gospel track. And I would encourage people to always give them a gospel track, or a Bible, or both, with every gift. If you give them a dollar, or you give them 50 cents, or a pair of socks, or hot chocolate, or something, or a can of food, give them a gospel track as well. They might not read it. They probably won't read it, to be honest with you. They're, they're probably going to throw it in the trash, to be honest with you. But you don't know that. They might actually read it. And it might make a difference, and it might not, but you don't know. Therefore, I think you should always try to give a gospel tract. And if you don't have one with you, just write down a Bible verse on a piece of paper and give it to them with the money or the can of food or whatever you're giving them, write down a Bible verse and give it to them too if you don't have a gospel tract with you. But we do have gospel tracts that you can print from the ministry website at I Saw the Light Ministries. I Saw the Light Ministries.com slash gospel tracts.html. And you can print those out 
at the local library or your home or a friend's home or a relative's home, wherever you can find a printer, and carry, carry those with you everywhere you go, everywhere. Everywhere you go walking, if you go walking down the street, always take a gospel track with you because you never know who, who you're going to run into. You might, see a, you might see a street beggar that you never saw before, a new one. You might see uh, somebody else that's not even they that you never saw before, and the Holy Ghost might just say to you, give him a track. Give him a track, even if, he, even if he's not there. If you come equipped, if you always stay equipped, the Holy Ghost can use you more. Amen? So I would add to the full honor of God a package of tracks. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Stay ready at all times for the gospel track. Amen. Praise God. That is the gospel of peace and the readiness that comes from that. Amen. Woo! Praise the Lord. That's the gospel of peace. I love you. Read this. Jesus loves you. Amen. God loves everybody, even the sinner. But he died for us while we were still sinners. He hates the sinner, not the sinner. But he does detest a sinner that refuses to repent. But detesting and hating is two different things. The King James Version says hate. That's an awful, awful, horrible, demonic translation to say that God hates sinners. That's a demonic translation. God does not hate sinners. He died for us while we were still sinners. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Amen? He loves the sinners. But he detests those that are still in their sin that refuse to try to do better. There's a difference. There's a difference. To detest is that you don't want to be around that person for very long. They stink with sin. But you still love them enough to pray for them. You still love them enough to give them a gospel track. You still love them enough to want them to do better and want them to get saved because you really do love that person. It's the sin that you hate, not the person. And I know that's difficult at times, but that is the truth. Okay, brother. Gerald, you got anything to add? Oh, the prophet here. Was not Jesus homeless for three and a half years? And Matthew? And Mark? And John? And Thomas? And all the other disciples? They were all homeless for three and a half years. Were they not wandering from town to town to town to town? And does it not say that Jesus did not even have a place to lay, lay his head? And did not Jesus also tell the disciples 
to go on a journey of evangelism and not take anything with them, not even extra money, not even extra food or extra supplies or anything. They was out there with no money, no supplies, no food. How was they expected to live? Jesus expected them to live off of the gifts of the people. The gifts of the people. That's how Jesus expected and required the 12 pastors, the 12 ministers of the Lord to live all from the gospel. So don't tell me get a job. Jesus told all 12 pastors to live off from the gifts of the people. That was his instruction to those 12 preachers. And did not Jesus also tell someone to sell everything he owned and give it to the poor? Amen? So I do encourage everybody to be more loving, more cheering, more compassionate. Anything, Brother Gerald, go really well. Amen. Okay. Praise God. I hope it helps someone to walk more in the spirit of the Lord and in more love. Two weeks to Pentecost, Pentecost party. Pentecost Sunday party. Have some extra food if possible, a feast. And uh, don't forget also the Holy Day offering. Because that is Bible. Not because I want money, but because that's Bible. That's what God tells you to do. And that's why you should do it. A Holy Day offering for Pentecost. And it could be as little as 50 cents, even one penny. Even the widow's nights, or was that, is that what it's called, widow's night? Yeah. The smallest coin. That would be a penny to us. A lot of people's like, I can't send you no money. I can't afford it. Well, if the widow, who was poor, gave her coin that was the smallest coin, then I know that you rich Americans can give a penny. Come on now. And if you don't want to give it to me because you think I'm going to buy drugs with it, then maybe you could give it to a complete stranger by leaving a dollar bill at the gas pump. Amen? Leave a dollar bill at the gas pump, a complete stranger. A $10 bill, a $20 bill. If you don't want to send me $20 for Pentecost, leave $20 at the gas pump. Woo! That'll make somebody's day. But the problem with that, it may be a rich person that finds you. But you don't know. 
it's better to give to the street beggar because he probably needs it more. And it's also better to give to the church, the true pastors, the true ministries, that have the boldness to preach it the way it is. Just being honest with you, the Bible says that the preacher who works hard deserves it. So, and the Bible says, do not forget the Levite. And I know the Levite priesthood has done what has done away with, but I stand in their steps. Do I not? Do I not stand in their footsteps? So it's the same biblical principle. Okay. The reason I shared this sermon today is not because I want your money, but because I eyewitnessed the hatred of Christians toward poor people. This is why I'm preaching this today, is because I am an eyewitness of the hatred of so-called Christians of how much they hate and despise and judge and condemn the poor street beggar. That's why I preach this as well. All of this in Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.